0: Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to our friends who are joining us. uh, Several different locations. We've got friends at the Bel Air campus and at the Edgewood campus. And at the Abingdon campus and on the line as well. We're also excited. This, this, uh, this is the time when we're happy to be welcoming for the first time our friends on the Monday night service at the Abingdon campus. Sound like something cool we're doing and we're, we're welcoming them as well. Hey, the, the big buzz uh, this weekend obviously is about... The Super Bowl, and you know what's going to happen with the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, I know you've become accustomed to hoping that I will come through and deliver for you some kind of prophetic word about the outcome of the game. And I got to tell you, I, I, I woke up this morning. I said, "I got nothing. I got nothing." God, what you know? Do you got no word? And then all of a sudden, my Bible fell off of the edge of the counter, and I picked it up, and lo, behold, verily mine eyes didst fall on the words of Obadiah 1-4. And I said, Lord, how are the eagles going to do? And, and Obadiah 1-4 said, even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. And I thought, surely this is recompense for the way they dealt wickedly with God's team, the Vikings, before. I said, is it so? Do I need to bring this hard word to the city of brotherly love? And and then, and then a wind blew through my room, and the pages ruffled, and verily and my eyes did fall on Habakkuk 1.8, which said, however, like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. I thought, oh, this is the second half. <laughs> yes. I said, Lord, confirm it. God, confirm it. I don't want to be guessing on this. Confirm it. And, and, and so a whole, uh, an angel grabbed my hand and put it down. And Isaiah 40, 31 jumped off the page which says, For those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like... And they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. There you have it, folks. Eagles win it in a close one, twenty seven twenty four. 27, 24. You heard it right here. That's how we preach at Mountain right there. Hey, how many of you are actually excited about the Patriots winning this? Let me hear from you real loud. All campuses. Yeah. It's about what I thought. How about the Eagles? Would you rather see the Eagles win? Pretty crazy. Uh, how many are really just in it for the commercials and the halftime thing? How many hate the NFL and could not care less about this whole deal? A bunch of those, yeah, okay, a whole bunch of us. Well, isn't it interesting how many things we can find to disagree about, isn't it? Let's see if I can start a fight here today. Uh, uh, Let's just say, if you are an extrovert, you are energized by people, you love parties, you want to be around people all the time, more outgoing than withdrawn, just wave your hands wildly, you're one of those extroverts, yeah, pat someone on the back next to you, make a friend, there you go extroverts great what about if you're an introvert if you're an introvert just if you 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 are you don't love people you just uh yeah have the person next to you raise your hand or just cover your face so we know who you are yeah there you go yeah see we're different aren't we we got all these differences between us how about this um Night people or morning people? Night people, you love, you come alive after hours, you can't stand those anointing morning morning people who, grow, who wake up happy. Night people, raise your hands. There you are. Uh-huh. How about morning people? You, can't, you won't even see the last part of the game tonight. You'll be like, 7.30, you got to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Watch the movie or read the book? Watch the movie. Yeah, lazy bums. Read the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're, we're, we're just very different. Uh, raise your hand if you are you are an iPhone user, iPhone people, uh-huh, Android, Android users, yeah, yeah, yeah. keep your hand up if you're a snob about that and think anyone who owns an Apple is a jerk. Oh, there's a few of you, there's more of you than you're admitting, yeah, NASCAR, love it, NASCAR, why would I watch someone turn left for three hours, yeah, whole bunch of us, uh-huh, Let's go for the jugular. Dog people and cat people. Before you answer, let me just remind you, dogs are happy contributors to the well-being and good companions of men, and cats are neurotic psychopaths who destroy everything and could care less whether you live or die. Dog people, let's hear from you. All right. Cat people. Any cat people? Uh, Cat people. All right, whatever. Creating a little tension. I'll get a little email on that one. It's okay. I changed my email. We have all these differences between us, right? And most of it's all in good fun, <laughs> except for a few of you who got bent out of shape on the last one. But, um, but there are seriously, aren't there, so many things that really do not just create differences between us, but division. And doesn't it seem to you, like it maybe does to me, that we're more divided, and polarized, and entrenched, and nasty, and angry, and mean about all of this than we've ever been? Anybody else feel that? It's not just the election. It's, it's more than that. There's tension and it's real. And you just try bringing up certain topics, politics, fake news, universal health care, gun control, race issues, and all of a sudden you feel it. Death penalty, abortion. Your perspective on climate change or environmental issues. Immigration, or I just say the words, Obama. Hillary, Trump, and we got it. There's so much tension and anger. It seems like we're polarized on political issues, racial issues, generational disdain, and we're fearful. We're, We're a nation divided. And One thing we need to remind ourselves of is that all that division isn't just the way things are. Division is not the way it's meant to be not the way God created things to be. In fact, division and rancor and vitriol and anger and strife, all of that is part of the mess of the brokenness that God sent Jesus to heal and fix. Did you know that? It's part of why God sent Jesus. As the Bible says, that the world might be reconciled not just to God, but also to one another and to live in harmony. Ephesians 2 says that Jesus came in part to to break down the dividing wall of hostility between us. That's why Jesus came. Shalom means salvation. It's the Hebrew word shalom, and it means peace. And Jesus says, blessed, blessed, happy are you when you're with me in this project of being a peace bringer, maker." Jesus calls us to shine as lights in this dark world and to be salt, Not just to be another noisy gong or a clanging cymbal without love, but to to bring love, bring peace and unity where there's brokenness. Salt of the earth, he calls us. Salt's a preservative. It sort of holds things together, makes things not rotten. Salt makes things taste better. And I wonder, as I look at even we who claim to follow Christ, are we making things better in this issue of divisiveness? or Are we making things worse sometimes? What concerns me, and maybe what ought to concern all of us, is that when you get certain topics going, whether it's kneeling football players or hashtag Me Too movement or homeschooling or welfare, whatever it might be, the size of government or healthcare, or guns, We don't even seem to be able to engage thoughtfully with each other anymore for the good of the whole. We don't even really engage that well or much with opposing perspectives. We just watch the news station that spins it how we like it. The algorithms take care of our social media and surround us with people who think like we do. And we're not in shared space in the same way that we have to be salt and light with others of differing opinions very much. What we are really getting good at is expressing outrage and being offended and demanding apologies and and calling anyone who doesn't agree with me an idiot. And and we're not so good at, at seeking understanding of another viewpoint. We are good at seeking ammunition to bolster our already entrenched positions, aren't we? We live in an epidemic of rudeness. It makes me think of Hebrews 12... Verse 15, which says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupt many others. We probably need to do a self-check, don't we, about whether that root of bitterness that's so pervasive in our society has worked its way right into our own hearts and lives. Are we making things better, or is it rubbing off on us? So as we think about how do we live in an era of division and an epidemic of rudeness. We're in this series called This Is Us. It's about mountain and about how God's called us to be some kind of markers and mantras that we believe are who we're meant to be when we're at our best and who we are really at our core. And we've been ticking off one by one through some of these markers. Mission first, we began with. Mission first to say, hey, main thing, main thing. Let's keep it the main thing. We're all about bringing people to Jesus or helping them grow in Jesus. That's it. And stay humble, stay hungry. Stay humble because if anything good has happened around here in the last 194 years, it's not because of us. It's in spite of us. And we're going to stay hungry no matter what success we might have had. We're going to stay at it. And broken people helping broken people because we're not a museum for the saints. We're a hospital for the sick, and so we just help others find healing and wholeness in Jesus around here. And we love kids because Jesus did, and so we're going to make space for them and love them and help them flourish and find their place in God. And today's mantra is this, unity really matters. Yes. Unity really matters, and we know this, don't we? We kind of know it From our own experience, if you've ever experienced disunity. Man, I remember one time I was on a high school wrestling team. and one season, we had unity. It was fun. People came to practice with energy. We stayed after. The bus rides were fun. And the next year, everything changed. We had a few changes in coaching and people. And it was just like no one wanted to be there. There was no energy. We didn't compete as hard. It wasn't fun. What happened? We lost our unity. And if you've ever experienced that, say, in a marriage or a family, where, you know, the dinner table's quiet and the shoulders are cold, or in a work environment, or an apartment complex, or a military troop, or a band you were a part of, or a neighborhood, or a cul-de-sac, or with your in-laws, or whatever it might be. Man, you you know how much it makes you yearn and long for what David was talking about in Psalm 133 when he said how good... And pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. How good and pleasant. Flip it on its head, it's also true how bad and unpleasant and stinky rotten it is when we have division, strife, and friction. So, unity really matters. Paul was talking about this to the Roman Christians way back in the first century. They had the same kind of struggle we do with rancor and vitriol and division culturally and in the church. And to help us understand the impact of his words, think for a minute about the person who drives you crazy, someone who's really different than you. Maybe they're on the other side of the political aisle or they're just so stupid in the tough stuff they come up with. You can't stand even talking to them about it because they're just so off base. Think of that person, and now we're hearing the word of God as it comes to us from Romans chapter 14. Verses 14, what are we supposed to do with this, with these people? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. And do all that you can to live, what is it, live in peace. With who? Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. I want to share with you today two key words that will help us in a culture of rudeness. And then I want to share with you four rules of practical engagement. The next time you get into it. And so you can fight fair. And then I want to share with you one magic mantra that will help us know how in the church, when we, can't dis- when we can't agree on certain things, how we're going to sail through it with flying colors. Okay? So two key words, four rules of engagement, and one magic mantra. Okay? Let's start with the key words. And the first one is this. Civility. Everybody say civility. 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 Yes. You know what? God's people ought to be leading the way towards civility. You know what civility is? Civility is merely being courteous and gracious in our interactions with others, particularly with those with whom we disagree. We ought to lead the way towards civility. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he's teaching a Sermon on the Mount. He says, You know what? I know you all think love your friends and neighbors, but then hate your enemies is the way to go. But listen, I tell you something completely different. And Jesus says. I want you to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's how you act like a child of God. He goes on to say, if you just sort of are kind to the people who already agree with you and love you on everything, the worst sinner in the world does that. I need you to step out and to be different. And the way you do that is you're kind and civil and courteous and gracious to everyone. You want to summarize civility in two words? Here it is. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. Where we learn to criticize without attacking attacking a character. Or we learn to talk about the make your point without making it personal. Be kind. I was watching a Facebook argument unfold. Two Christians going at it and then a bunch of other Christians arguing about some christian thing that Christians love to argue about. And then about the 10th comment down, somebody who apparently was not a believer in Jesus chimed in and just said, Man, you Christians sure are mean. I thought your Jesus was kinder than that. Apparently that person didn't want anything to do with that kind of Jesus. Come to think of it, neither do I. Neither should you. So be kind because it matters. It is true that it's not just what you say, it's how you say it that matters for a Christ follower. It doesn't matter if you're right. If you're mean and ugly, or arrogant or self-righteous about it, according to Jesus, you're still wrong. So, be kind. It doesn't mean you have to be weak or roll over. It just means you act civilly at all times. Frederick Buechner always used to say, "Although kindness and holiness are not exactly the same thing, they're awfully close." You want to be holy, be kind. Unity really matters. And the first key word is civility. Second key word, humility. Say that with me, will you? Humility. Humility. Our Lord, the creator of the universe, was humble. We can be too. A key verse that might help us think about this is Paul talking to people like us, the church at Philippi, chapter 2, verses 2 and following. Here's what he says, be like-minded. That's unity. Having the same love, that's unity. Being one in spirit, that's unity. And one in purpose, that's unity. So how do we express this unity? Here he explains it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe that Jesus' attitude was one of humility. Humility changes the whole tone of the conversation, doesn't it? Someone who comes with a humble spirit. Proverbs 3 verse 10 reminds us that the opposite of humility is pride, which is what always leads to conflict. Pride and arrogance. But those who are open to counsel, if you are humble enough to say, I want to learn more. I want to understand your perspective. Help me me understand this. That's wise. A person who says, I'm not listening to anything, the Bible calls a fool. And that's pride. And it's what destroys unity. So when we can say, I might not know everything about this, we're acting in a godly way. Don't forget, humility is not a weakness, it's a strength. Show me an arrogant person and a humble person and it doesn't take me long to figure out who's stronger. Anyone with a mouth can open it and yell and spout off and demand things and criticize and belittle the other side. That's not hard. A child can and does do that. Humility... Doesn't care less about the issues. It just cares more about character and class and Christ likeness. And so we bring that to the table. Hold your views just as strongly as ever, but never with arrogance. Those are two pretty good key words, aren't they? Civility and humility combined together give us a shot at unity. Without them, I don't think we have a shot. And turns out these are biblical principles. That We're called to exemplify unity really matters civility humility you ready for the the four practical rules of engagement Next time you get into it next time you're going at it you're in a Facebook conversation you're in that email You're going to write a letter to the editor. I don't know what it is family argument or Facebook post here We go ready number one respect everyone and always be kind Respect everyone and always be kind Because every person you talk to is created in the image of God. And therefore they have intrinsic value and dignity and worth. And we need to reflect it. Not because they've earned it, or not because you agree with them, or not because they've said things so beautifully, but because of who they are in God's eyes. 2 Timothy 2 says this, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Put that on our Facebook mastheads. Because you know they just produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and patient, even with difficult people. Opponents must be gently instructed and hope that God will change their people's hearts. You can anyway. So they will learn the truth. I love what Henry Drummond says. The greatest thing a person can do for their heavenly father is to be kind to some of his kids. Respect everyone, be kind always. Number two, listen rather than label. Listen rather than label. We're quick to pigeonhole people. Because if I can just hear one little soundbite from you and then put you in a box and label you, I can be done with you and write you off and hold you in contempt. Oh, you're just a liberal wacko. You're just a conservative nutjob. You're just a tree hugger. You're just a Trumpite. You're just a, you know, whatever. And I I can be done with you. But if I listen, I might seek to understand you. Even if I don't agree with you in the end, I've at least moved toward unity. We don't have to agree to have unity. God gave us two ears and one mouth. Maybe we should use them in that ratio a little more often. Be known for listening rather than labeling. Number three, when things start to escalate, escape. When, things start, when you feel in your own spirit like, oh, man, I don't want to really let this one fly, or you can tell someone else is heading there, escape, just run away. That's the braver thing to do. So many zingers I've let fly because it felt good to me in the moment I've regretted. That's an arrow I can never pull back. And it causes damage. The satisfaction I felt from that last zinger wasn't worth the damage to that relationship and the cause of Christ. Proverbs 15 says, a gentle answer. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words, they just stirred up. No when to walk away. Instead of escalate, escape. And number four. And finally, we need to learn to say, I'm sorry. When it's your fault, when you're wrong, if you hurt someone, whatever, be big enough, mature enough, strong enough to own it and say, I'm sorry. And when, when you do that, you bring grace into the equation. And that's God's gift to us. Without grace, we never get unity. So bring it. It changes everything. And if you're like me, you need to get better at saying you're sorry without actually making it sort of a passive-aggressive attack. You ever do that? I'm sorry that you're so stupid you made me do that. (laughs) I'm sorry that you made it necessary for me to do it, and here's why I did, which is really a defense of myself and not an apology, isn't it? God gave us apologies, forgiveness, not as a political act to clear our name, but as a relational act to restore a relationship. So there you go. Two key words, civility and humility. Four, Practical rules of engagement, not bad. If we really put these into practice, I bet we would be quite a different influence in our culture of rudeness, don't you? Now we're almost ready for the magic mantra that changes everything, but first I want to let us lean over Jesus' shoulder a little bit and look and see what he says one time. When he is pouring out his heart in prayer to his Father. He and the Father are one. He separated himself somehow enough that he came to earth in the flesh. And while here, he still communed and prayed in oneness with his Father. And John chapter 17 in your Bible records some of what Jesus longed for when he prayed. Look there with me, will you? John 17, starting with verse 11. Now I am departing from the world near the end of his life. And they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united as one, just as we are. How many prayers have you prayed to Jesus hoping he'd answer your prayer? Well, here's one prayer of Jesus that he's hoping you answer. That we would be protected from the evil of division and be one. I am praying not only for these disciples, the ones who were immediately around him in those days, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. He prayed for us. What did he pray? That they will all be one, just as you and I, Father, are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe That you sent me. How's the world going to believe? Why would the world want anything to do with a bunch of squabbling, bickering followers? I've given them the glory that may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So, Jesus longed for unity. Unity really matters to Jesus. And I could go through a bunch of scriptures to, to, to show you how it matters all through the Bible. I'll just give you one, the Apostle Paul, who said in in chapter 4, as he's pleading with some Christians in 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 a city called Ephesus, he says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I'm begging you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So how do we live out our calling? What does it mean to, to live up to that? He says, here's what it looks like. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other and each other's faults because of your love. And make every, what's the word, effort to keep unity in the bond of peace. In other words, this is going to take some work. And one of the reasons I think that Christians are so divided is that it's too much work. Unity is a gift and our job is to not screw it up. And even that takes work. So effort kind of effort do we need to put forward around mountain? As we talk about this is us we just are so blessed that we have a high degree of unity God has blessed us with so much unity and we want to maintain that and so we'd like to think about unity around here like you might think of like throwing a rock in a pond and you see the rings go out from there we think of unity in four different ever-widening circles okay so first of all Think about unity just as it starts with you in our interpersonal relationships. you want to be part of mountain, just remember unity starts there in the way we talk to and about one another. It means we're not free to backbite or devour and tear each other apart. It means if we've got conflict, we have to deal with it in Christ honoring ways because that's where unity starts or stops, right there with you and me. The next ring out is important because we want to have unity as a whole church with our church family. The primary way we accomplish that at Mountain and we're blessed with so much unity right now is because we just want to be really clear about our vision, where we're going. Our mission, why we think we're here. And then everyone link arms and let's just do that together and and it's beautiful when you don't have all this sideways energy devoted on all this other stuff to put out fires because you can't get along. But no, you just, friends, there's no secrets about Mountain. There's no secrets of who we are. We just say, everybody, let's go there where Jesus has called us. You link arms and you move and it's beautiful and it's fun. We want to have unity like that in our church. We also want to have unity in the next ring out, which is not just our church, but, you know, with all the Christians in our region, all, we're not the only Christians. But we are just Christians only. So we celebrate other Christians and churches that believe as we do on so many things. And yes, we could find things to disagree about if we wanted to, but we prefer instead to demonstrate unity. And one of the primary ways we do that with other Christians and churches is through serving together. Showing up and serving side by side, we need to see more of that, where Christians just show up and shut up, because that demonstrates unity. So Tabitha's house, and Serve Fest, and many other ways in our community are ways we demonstrate that. And then finally, the biggest ring is where we just remind ourselves, man, how many churches does Jesus have, do you think? How many churches would you say Jesus has? He's got one church, capital C. And we're part of that one global, worldwide church. And we have unity with believers who shared the same Lord's Supper that we're sharing today in Kenya, or in Myanmar, South Korea, and Minnesota. One church. And we like to remember that a lot around here. And so that sets us up for the magic mantra. Now we're ready for the magic mantra. Almost ready. It's a biblical principle. There's so many places in the Bible I could show you how this principle plays out. One of them would again be Romans chapter 14. There were in the church in Rome there some Christians who believed that you should be a vegetarian to be a proper Christian because. Some of the meat that might be offered would maybe meat that was offered to false gods and idols, and so and they didn't want any part of that. And some other Christians, and actually Paul says the more mature version is to say that's ridiculous, it's superstitious. You're free in Christ. That stuff doesn't have any play on you. Send me a send me a steak. But his main point is this: is to say, look, these are not the main issues. So have whatever view you want to based on this, based on the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life. Look at verse 1, 14 verse 1. Accept other believers who have what he calls weaker faith, but without passing judgment. Or arguing with them about what they think is right and wrong. Keep the main thing the main thing and let the secondary issue be what it is. There's other issues like Jewish feast days and some said we have to observe those and others and they said, no, that's not important for us right now. And and, and he just says, no, that's a secondary level thing. Verse 13 and following, here's what he says. Let us stop passing judgment and condemning each other and let us aim for harmony and make every effort to do what leads to peace. That's a good introduction to our slogan. Here it is. Let me put it on the screen and you say it with me. Together now. Ready? Everybody together. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Friends, this right here is the key to staying married to the same person. It's the key to raising teenagers. It's the key to keeping the band together. It's also the key for unity in God's people. It's a magic mantra because it helps us get through. There's really nothing that can tear us apart if we do this biblical principle. Here's what it's saying. That there are some things that are so important and central and foundational to who we are and what we believe. They're essential. They're, they're at the very core. You pull them away and you don't have anything, you don't have anything left. They're of the essence of our faith. And in these few things, we've just got to be together. Unity. In essentials, unity. Here's a reminder. That is an extremely short list. Very small. It centers around Jesus and who He is and what He's done on the cross. Jesus is Lord. In essentials, unity. Unity. What it's also saying, though, is that there's a host of other things, a long laundry list of things that are very important. They're not unimportant. They're important just that they're not of the same level of importance. They're not of the essence of the faith. So they're worthwhile to study and investigate and go to the Bible for answers so we know what to think and do and how to act on all these side issues. You might want to know, so Christians can argue about these things, but you know, the the place of women in ministry or worship styles or buildings or drinking or immigration or gun control or tongues or end times or your view of creation, all this stuff, the subject of war and all these things that Christians can talk about. And all of these things, we allow liberty a range of freedom, even differences of opinion. Why? Because our real unity happens where? In Jesus. And no matter what you're talking about, the key is, whatever it is, we deal with it with the love of Christ. Unity, essentials. Non-essentials, liberty. All things love. Pretty important. And if you and I come to disagreement on something, You and I are going at it. We start arguing. It's a a Bible issue. We're trying to figure it out. You read your Bible. I read my Bible. You read your and it's like, I don't agree. I don't agree with you. No, no, no. I think you're right. I think you're wrong. I pray about it, you pray about it. You know what? I think you're wrong, Carl. No, you think I'm wrong. You know what? Here's how we here's you know how we solve that? We get to loggerheads. You know what we do? We fight about it. No, we don't fight about it. I'm just kidding. That's what Christians do. We don't fight about it. Here's what we do we wait till we get to heaven and then he learns that I was right. But seriously, think about it. If we're, if we're both going to go to heaven to figure out who's right, then we don't need to divide and split up about it down here. That's the key. And so, one of the reasons I think we struggle with this is, friends, we've confused unity with uniformity. Uniformity is where everybody's the same. Or conformity, where everyone has to step in line and walk and talk and act and smell and vote and everything just like the preacher. That's not what we're talking about. The Bible holds up unity, and unity loves diversity. Unity thrives in diversity. Unity really can't exist without diversity. If you don't have some diversity, you've got uniformity, and that's not what Jesus prayed for. Jesus, he didn't pray, Father, I prayed that they'd all be the same. He didn't create us all the same, did he? The Bible says that some of us are going to be like a nose. Some are going to be an eye. Some are an ear. Some are a foot and a hand and a heart and a brain. And someone's got to be the uvula. But all of us are one body. Diversity and unity go together. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Diverse, but one. Diversity and unity are drilled into the very nature of reality at the deepest level, you see. And so when Jesus came and he called his first disciples, how did he do it? Did he pick them all the same? No, no, he did not. He picked one guy over here, a blue-collar worker at the wharf, fisherman guy. he come on in, cussing sailor guy, and and he says, follow me. And then he goes to another guy who works over here with a calculator and pushes numbers all day, white-collar dude. Hey, well, you follow me. Puts them together as the original 12. He picked one guy to follow him. His name is Simon. Simon the Zealot, your Bible says. You know what a zealot is? A zealot is basically a terrorist. Someone who viewed the Roman government as the enemy, and we're going to overthrow him with violence. So a zealot was known to walk through a crowd with a sword under his coat. So if he came by a Roman soldier, he could pull it out and stab him in the back, thinking he's doing God's will. Simon the zealot, follow me. Okay. Hey, by the way, Matthew, the tax collector who works for the Roman government, why don't you follow me and be a roommate with Simon when we go on our road trips? That'll be fun. You think that's an accident? It's not an accident. He brought them together, and those guys, they didn't have much in common, except they had Jesus in common, and that was enough. And you look around here at Mountain, you look at us. We're old, we're young, we're black, we're white, we're Indian, we're Hispanic, we're all over the place. we got people with a lot of money, people without much money. we got people with education, no education. We've got people who've been all over the world with God and other people who are just starting and don't have much experience there at all. we got, we got introverts and extroverts and everybody else. And you know what? We may not have much in common, both sides of the aisle and everything else. You know what? All we need in common is Jesus, and that is enough. And that is enough. So... We're going to celebrate and pursue unity in the midst of diversity. We're going to welcome diversity because that's how God intended it to be. When you look at the way the church started in the book of Acts, the Bible says that there were people from, Rome, from, from Africa and Asia and Europe, all over the known world that came to Jerusalem, and that's where God started his church, in the middle of diversity. And then the Bible shows us what we're going to be one day, shows us a picture of heaven in Revelation 7. It says, you know what heaven looks like? It's every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every ethnicity, all different kind of people gathered together around the throne of Jesus. Look, we started that way. We're going to end that way. Somewhere in between we got off track and we have begun to mirror all of the segregated class and color and keep to your own kind the way the world does it. And it's time that we say, you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where where you're from. This needs to be one place where we don't mimic and mirror all of the divisive rancor and hatred and separation and segregation of the world. Because this place is a place where everyone's received the grace of God. And you come in on level ground. And this is a place for everyone. So I don't care if you're a Patriots fan or an Eagles fan or you're, you're Hispanic or white or black or young or rich or poor or you're from Cecil Tucky or Dundalk. I don't care. You know what? This is Jesus' church and He says you're welcome and we've got to express the one the world is longing to see. This is us. This is us. That's what we do. This is us. So strive for unity, my friend. Let me go back to that Ephesians chapter 4 passage. Pick it up at verse 3. You know what else it says? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Why? For there is one body and one Spirit. Just as we've been called to one glorious future, we're all going the same place, you guys. So there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who's over all and in all and through all. Let's keep that in mind as we remember unity really matters. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shout out your name. And your name stands for all the uniqueness and differences that you bring to this equation. But shout it out with gusto. All of our campuses, ready? One, two, three. Yeah. Kind of chaotic, but welcome. Welcome. Now, on the count of three, shout out the name of the name that is above all names, the name of the one that God sent to die on the cross, the one Lord, to bring us into one church into, by one faith and one baptism into our one glorious future. Shout his name out one, two, three. Jesus. That sounds so much better, does it not? This is us. And this is us. Amen. Okay. Listen. We've got to do one more thing before we go. And uh, this is the day that we bid farewell to our friends Rob and Kelly Castons. If you've been following along in, our, in my uh, e-notes, you know that. So Rob and Kelly, join us if you would. You know, when when God puts a blessing in your hands, when he puts a gift in your hands, what you do is you just try to embrace it and hold it and treasure it and enjoy it and thank God for it. And then you also hold it loosely, because God may have need of it to be shared with someone else. And 15 years ago, God blessed us with these people, Rob and Kelly Cassins. They came to us with their little kids, Kylie and Blaine at that time, and became part of us, and they've been a blessing. They've been a gift, something we've treasured and we've enjoyed. And now today we're remembering our hands are open and we're releasing them to serve where God's called them in another place where he's going to. Use them to take everything that's happened here and apply it to help so many others. And uh, I probably don't have to explain to you; most of you know the kind of contribution these guys have made over the years. Rob is our executive pastor, my right-hand man and close friend and confidant, and Kelly, leading worship arts and helping us in spiritual formation in so many ways over the years. And I probably don't need to try to explain what that. Uh, Friendship has been like as we've raised our kids and grown up ourselves together. Uh, you probably have some idea. But you need to know how proud uh, we all are of their ability to hear God's voice and say yes. Uh, and to follow this call and so our hands are open. So here we are on that day. We knew it was coming, but
1: here we are. Yeah, it's, um, I knew it was coming because all the staff got new name tags and I didn't give one.
0: I was trying to be frugal, like you yeah. taught us. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, uh, someone asked me this past week what I was going to miss, and uh, four things immediately came to mind. Uh, one, I'm going to miss uh, the mission of Mountain. Uh, we've loved uh, partnering with you uh, to transform this region by making more and better disciples, and linking arms together and loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And watched and celebrated as God uh, grew this. Church from one campus and about seventeen hundred people to four campuses and over four over five thousand people, uh, and then we've just celebrated with the psalmist's words: "The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes." And second, uh, I'm going to miss uh, the Northeast. Uh, this region of the country, uh, I love the we love the history of it. We love day trips to Annapolis or D.C. or Philly or New York City, even and the mountains not that far away. The ocean not that far away. But we love this 95 corridor that we're a part of because that's where 25% of the nation's population lives and yet 40% of the nation's unchurched live there. And that's right where God has us. And God started this church 193 years ago in Harford County, Maryland. And Harford County is the most unchurched county in our state. It's as if God strategically placed this church... For impact in this region, and third, I'm going to miss the Kucharis's uh, Ben and Carla and the kids. Uh, met Ben just over 16 years ago, and uh, we connected right away. Uh, we learned quickly that we shared deep passions and convictions about the local church, and he's been not only our pastor and shepherd and leader, but a dear friend. Um, we've done life together with their family. Our kids have literally grown up together, almost as siblings. And we've learned that Carla is more competitive than the rest of us. (coughs) And then lastly, I'm going to miss community. Um, The mountain staff culture and uh, church culture are just so rich. Uh, It's the richest experience that we've ever had. And we've been a part of and know of churches all around the country. And nothing compares to what we've experienced
2: among you. I have an intern who's a college student, and I was talking with her last week about her time at Mountain, and this is what she said about you. She said, I've never been loved so well, so fast. That's who you are, Mountain. Um, We learned that about 16 years ago. It'll be 16 years in April that we came here. What you guys keep doing, you bunch of broken people that you are, you keep welcoming more and more people with all their brokenness and their mess and invite them in to be part of you, of this church. It's been one of the greatest gifts of our lives to be with you for the last 16 years. Uh, we're better people and we're better disciples because we've lived and loved alongside you and served the Lord together. And so we thank you, uh, we love you, and we pray God's blessings on you.
0: So Rob and Kelly, we, uh, yeah... We love you. We miss you already. We've talked about unity. It's a good reminder today. We're part of one church, and nothing will separate either of us from the love of Christ or from the love we have for each other. Um, so, on behalf of the whole Mountain family, uh, let me just say to you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can we show our appreciation again to Robin Keller?